0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, which is episode 121, We are talking with a specialty vegetable grower from California. So, vegetables come, of course, in all shapes and sizes. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of varieties of types of vegetables and all that good stuff. Well, our guest today is from a farm called Babe Farms, and they are a leader in specialty vegetables. They grow a wide variety of leafy greens, lettuce, Brussels sprouts. They also grow some beets, carrots, They also grow some really interesting stuff that I've actually never heard of, and it's called Romanesco. It looks like, and I think our guest today kind of talks about it, it looks like an alien broccoli, kind of. Um, If you know what I'm talking about, you're going to know what I mean, but if you haven't, just look it up. It's called Romanesco. Um, Anyway, our guest today is Jeff Lundberg from Babe Farms. So Jeff and his family, they started Babe Farms, I think in 1986. And it has grown to be a huge specialty crop grower in California. And so in our interview today, Jeff and I are going to talk about the history of Babe Farms, um, kind of their production and growing methods, how sustainability looks like on their farm, and also how things like social media and farm days have helped spread the word about their farm. um, Jeff kind of talked about um, in the interview kind of how successful their farm days are, that people want to come out to the farm and they want to learn and see what's going on and how their food is being made. And if you want to check them out, seriously, go check them out on Instagram or Facebook or their website. Their website is babefarms.com and you can see all of the awesome stuff they're doing. They've got like a great video playing once you get there um, and all the good stuff is right there on their website. And Jeff also talks about that one of his biggest wins with this farm is kind of the relationships that they have built with their workers. I mean, obviously, relationships um, with customers and cooks and chefs is going to be important. But they said, or Jeff said, that they do a really good job of building long-lasting relationships with all of their employees, which I think that's a really important, and that's something you really don't hear a lot about um, anymore. So that's really good to hear on Jeff's side. So yeah, this is episode 121 with Babe Farms. Hope you enjoy it. Um, I had a blast talking with Jeff and all the good things they're doing over there at Babe Farms. So, hope you enjoy the episode and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, Jeff, welcome to Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having
1: me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you're with Babe Farms, um, a specialty crop grower. I'm super excited to chat with you guys. So, before we kind of dive into that, tell me a little bit about your background and kind of how you got started working with Babe Farms.
2: So I've been in the ag uh, area. I've been involved in ag all my life. My family, was, as far as I, as long as I've known, I grew up on a farm as a little kid. My grandfather was a farming and uh, his, his grandfather. So we, we've been in the business for a long time. So it was kind of inevitable. I kind of grew up in a, as a little, little kid riding around in a tractor with my dad. I can remember falling asleep uh, watching the wheels go around on the big tractors back in the day. So I, I have fond memories of all that. So born and raised in the business and in Santa Maria as well. So uh, Santa Maria is a, 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 a fertile valley that has ocean influence and, uh, and it's been, it's, a, it's, it's farming is what it's known for.
1: That's awesome. So you guys grow a lot of stuff. I'm looking at your website and it's awesome, by the way. I love geeking out over like really nice websites. So as, as it says, you're the pioneer in specialty vegetables. So what's your whole production like? What do you guys grow and kind of how is it kind of grown from what it started out as?
2: So Babe they grows a lot of varieties uh, of product. We probably grow 70 varieties. Uh, And it's probably, we do that 52 weeks a year, which is kind of not as normal around here. We are a little milder climate than the Salinas Valley. So most people, even in Santa Maria, travel to Yuma in the winter months. And we do for some organic production and some things, and we have some growers down there. But but the large majority, you know, over 90% of what we do is year-round here in the Santa Maria Valley. And of those 70 varieties, we probably grow them in groups like... 15 variety 15 different commodity groups that we call them they're either they have like um cultural uh practices meaning we, we farm them the same we transplant them the same we cultivate them the same we fertilize them the same we treat them the same so it's easier for us to treat them as groups so probably probably 14 or 15 different groups and uh it's it's like a large garden out there uh, not it's when i tell people i grow 70 varieties they, they, they look like look at me like i'm crazy and, and maybe we are we try to do, we try to do it really well. It's, it's a niche farming. It's a large niche farm now, but it, at one time it was very small and, uh, and we grow it. We try to be very consistent. Uh, our biggest, uh, outlets is white tablecloth and high-end chef restaurants. So obviously COVID and the pandemic did not help us because we were so heavily weighted in food service. Uh, we are doing a better job of, of, uh, uh, diversifying i thought i was pretty diversified growing 70 varieties but to be honest with you when the pandemic hits and the world shuts down you figure out real quick that you're not as diversified as you may have thought
1: <laughs> i can imagine yeah covid kind of threw everybody a knuckleball i mean i know I'm, I'm here in florida and so i knew a lot of south florida farmers they started if they were selling direct to restaurants or wherever they would then start selling direct to consumers and that kind of worked out really well. So what were some ways that you guys kind of pivoted during the whole COVID or I guess during COVID, cause it's still kind of going on.
2: Uh, well, we're, uh, we are pretty big operation as far as many moving parts. We probably have 250 employees, and we farm about a thousand acres, 200 of that is organic. So when, when the pandemic hit and we, we plan months, even year, a year ahead of time, we're working on projections right now for next spring, just trying to stay ahead of it, understand plan acres and things like that. So when the co- when COVID hits and it shuts it off in a day, I mean, I remember the day it was March 12th and then the world just stopped. And it, we had. Acres and acres of product it made us sick because you drive out there and then when when the restaurant business really shut down, there's really no outlet. People ask, well, how do you waste that much food? There's no way you can turn it around and find alternate avenues. You know, su- su- uh, supermarkets and retailers have, have contracts and they have relationships and we have some of those. We just didn't have enough to handle that, that surge of all that product that was supposed to go to food service and then all of a sudden was turned off like a light switch. It was crazy. So we, some things that ha, that affected us, it was weird, uh, just like the pandemic affected businesses differently, um, meaning the Home Depots and the lowest of the world and the big business, the Walmarts, the Targets, they had their best year ever. You know, you, you see that, which kind of made me sad because the small mom and pop and I would consider our, our farming operation a family business. It may grow a thousand acres, especially, but we are very family oriented and uh, and I'm not a corporation by any means. Uh, my mom and I are on the board, and we usually have conversations over coffee, and we we write things down on napkins. We do not have uh, corporate meetings if we can help it. Um, so we we had some we've had some changes in how things. You know, the pandemic made people buy different what they looked at. Uh, some of the more hardware items we, we go kohlrabi and kale, and kale was a superfood years ago, but it really made a comeback in the pandemic because people were in supermarkets buying the things that they were comfortable with and they knew would last, you know, those, all those hardware items, carrots, uh, potatoes, things that I, things that I don't grow, I go specialty carrots, but there's a lot of things out there, broccoli, lettuce, cauliflower. People are in the stores buying that stuff because um, they were forced to, no more restaurants, they were all at home cooking.
1: Yeah. That's very interesting. I mean, yeah, I saw so many people um, throughout the country, they were even having to dump produce cause they had nowhere for it to go. And I, I heard a lot of consumers think, well, why can't you donate all that stuff to, to, to pantries and food pantries? But, I mean, those food pantries only have so much cold storage that they can store all the produce at. So it's crazy.
2: Exactly right. We did donate a lot. We were, I mean, at that point... We are trying to get rid of it and give it to somebody that could use it. But there was so much, so many people doing the exact same thing. You're exactly right. They can only take so much. I mean, it, they can only hold so much. And then the product is perishable in the field. So it's ready this week. And next week, there's another planting ready. So you just continually pile up. You can't just sit there and sit on it. A week, probably, yes. But any more than that, you're overdue and you just need to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, no, I can imagine. So I know when it comes to, like, big farms that kind of do, like – um Kind of monocropping, kind of like corn, wheat, soybeans, and stuff like that. But on a big vegetable farm like you guys, do y'all crop rotate at all? How, I mean, how exactly does that work on your operation?
2: So we do. We rotate. So strawberries is a big commodity in the Santa Maria Valley, along with Watsonville, Oxnard, and Salinas. But Santa Maria has really uh, own. In strawberry acreage, we have strawberry farmers that we rotate with. Probably is upwards of 200 acres every year I'm rotating with. So we're farming a thousand acres, um, uh, 200 of that is in rotation at all, at all, at all times. And so, if we're farming a thousand acres, 200 acres we're getting around in every five years. Those 200 acres of strawberries are on a different 200 acres of farming that I do, which helps me break cycles along with all my commodities. I definitely have a rotation by myself, but rotating with strawberries is a tool to help break disease pressure because you can really make yourself some problems by farming the same type of commodities on the same ground over and over. So strawberries is one way that you do that, and strawberries have the same need. Uh, they will have serious problems if they farm strawberries, strawberries, strawberries. They can get away with it twice, and so can I usually. But if you start doing things two or three times, four times for sure, you will make yourself your own
1: problems. Oh, I believe you. Yeah, I love learning about Florida or um, California strawberries because I know Florida and California kind of have a little bit of a rivalry because we, I mean, both states are kind of the rare ones where we can grow 52 weeks out of the year. And if um, most of the country's down Florida and California are growing. We're growing strawberries. And I know, I think Plant City is the winter strawberry capital of the world, but I think, like, for the rest of the year, you guys in California are the strawberry capital of the world.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, it, it really gets going here in March, uh, April, depending on how cold or wet our winter is. And it just rolls all the way into November, December. The longer they can hold on to it, they will, depending on when rain starts here. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, those, those, Those strawberry acres are very popular during those times in california it's big
1: i bet so yeah we've got a place down here i think uh, strawberry crest it's kind of around tampa that's kind of the big strawberry belt and i mean they are obsessed with strawberries down there there's a strawberry festival i I know people that make like strawberry pizza which it's like a dessert kind of so are are you all kind of the same way do you have like a particular area around santa maria that are kind of like obsessed with strawberries around that area
2: and there's a strawberry festival in Santa Maria annually. I think they, they missed it last year with the COVID pandemic, but it'll be back, and it is a big deal. You're right, strawberry, everything from drinks to uh,
1: you know, decorations. It's amazing what they can do with strawberries. They definitely uh, they do it all. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm about, I think, an hour and a half from Dothan, Alabama, and I think something like 70% of the country's peanuts come within a 50-mile radius of Dothan, and they've got a huge <laughs> peanut festival. They've got these funny little peanut statues outside of buildings where they all that kind of customize them. So it's always cool kind of seeing like communities kind of rally around their local commodities. So whether that's in Florida, Alabama or California. So I I know sustainability is getting super popular as people want kind of a more sustainable food system and they just want to buy, I guess, healthier, more sustainable crops or, or food whenever they go to the grocery store. So what are you guys doing to kind of be more sustainable and also to let, you know, to let people know what you guys are doing?
2: so we sustainability is kind of a uh, necessary item it's not something that we have ever not wanted to do but the more productive you can be which sustainability kind of helps with that as far as not abusing your soil there's no one that wants the soil to be healthier and vibrant than the farmer because that makes productivity so we do things like drip irrigation which saves on water uh, we do a lot we do drip everywhere we possibly can there are certain crops that just do not aren't conducive to that we do things like cover cropping uh, obviously the rotation i spoke about uh, any reservoir that we may have we have one reservoir that we, that we treat the water so that it's all um within specs of uh, L- lgma which is a which is a committee or a advisory uh, association that we are all part members of we, we will recycle water uh, any sometimes when reservoirs will catch water for, we have catch basins. there's rules in california that you can't have your water running onto your neighbors so what we'll do is pump it out of those reservoirs and use that water to water roads um our commercial fertilizers are no longer used on organic farming for obvious reasons so uh, we're we're rotating those crops with other varieties trying to get use beneficials to suppress disease. There's a, there's definitely some uh, tools in the in the in the toolbox that we use to do that. So it's it's very much a family business. Uh, farm workers are, are part of that maintaining self and ha- safe and healthy work environments for our employees. And we do not exist without our employees. We have a great team of employees and labor such a shrinking value uh you know as far as commodity we try to take care of that commodity those people are those people are everything does so we have some really long-term employees that's worked for us for a long time so we really respect that and we're proud of that
1: that's awesome um yeah so before i forget i know water in california is kind of a hot commodity so what's that what's that struggle like when you've got a thousand acre farm but you're also in a state where water is kind of scarce i mean you've got the fires going on and stuff like that so what's that struggle like
2: it's difficult, by for sure. Uh, we live in a, we farm in an area that is mostly uh, supplied by underwater aquifers, mm-hmm. which we're blessed. Uh, the Yuma area and and, and Arizona is all uh, driven by canal system, so it's all open water. So from a food safety perspective, our system is much more desirable because you're pumping out of the ground, but that doesn't make more water. You you, I mean, Mother Nature has to be part of that. The drip system that I was explaining to you at some of the uh, water conservation care, uh, practices that we do, we're, we do not overwater, we do not waste water, uh, we don't waste fertilizer. I remember years ago, I mean, uh, inputs were cheaper. When I was just a kid getting into it, I remember, remember you would plant more, you would fertilize more because all those inputs and even water was more more prevalent. You would be able to do all those things just because it was easy. Just make sure you had it to make sure you available. We don't do that. We do not grow anything or apply any input that we know isn't going to be utilized completely or at least you know, harvested. We do not plan for the hope this gets harvested. We don't waste. There's no such thing as waste anymore in uh, in real-time farming.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, in terms of harvesting, I know you mentioned um, your workers earlier, and I know Shea Myers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. With um, I can't remember Oahi Produce. I think they grow onions, and I can never remember if he's in Colorado or Idaho. But we had him on the show. He deals with a lot of onions, and um, he recently went to the Senate or to the U.S. Capitol to kind of talk about um, working with immigrants, HUa visas, and stuff like that. And I know COVID's had a huge impact on that. So, I mean, what, what is the whole labor situation right now? Because I know picking a 1,000 acres of vegetables, like that's hard labor.
2: It is. It is. Like I said, we have approximately 250 employees year round. That's probably what I have going for me the most. A lot of, uh, including strawberries, are very uh, seasonal. So it's hard to hold on to labor if you can't get it on a paycheck 52 weeks a year. I'm one of the few farms that sticks around and farms. I'm as busy in Thanksgiving weekend or you know the Thanksgiving, uh, November and December as I am in, in, in March and April, and it's because we have that used to be before COVID. We're still the new normal is different uh, than it once was, but we definitely have a used to have a very seasonal push for the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Not that's not normal for vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it is. But it's more prevalent in my business, and last year was an anomaly, obviously. But usually we get this big push for the November and December months that keeps us busy. And that year-round consistent you know, workload is actually something that helps me hold on to labor. My labor uh, is a side employees that have been with us for, honestly, 20, 30 years. I have, I have uh, individuals that – I have a harvest foreman, harvest manager, who is mother – works for me in my sales desk. She's worked for us for 30 some years and he's worked for me for 10 ever since he got out of college. Oh, wow. So those are those are success stories. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool to hear. Yeah, I've heard more and more stories about um, large operations that have workers like that that kind of stick around for the long haul. Um, that's awesome. And so I actually found you guys, I think on Instagram, and it seems like y'all have a pretty active presence on social media, on the internet. And so... What, I mean, what was the inspiration behind that and how are you guys using that as kind of a tool to show people what you guys are doing and all about your great produce?
2: So I'll be the first to say that I'm not a social media, social media (laughs) group, a lot on Facebook, but my uh, marketing person came to me, sales and marketing manager now came to me and said, you know, this is where and this has been years. We've been doing this for probably eight or 10 years and it's kind of a, a pay it forward kind of expense. And it, and it's a, it's a. It's an education. We use social media mostly for marketing. It's a tool to reach to the end user—really, the chefs, the retailers, the shoppers, the food bloggers, you know, et cetera. It helps. It helps answer questions. It directs them to where they can purchase our products. Um, really, our color, our diverse product line really translate well on social media. Um, it 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 appeals to people. We get a lot of people looking at our 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 website just for the things that you you uh, bring up because it's it's easy to look at not everybody has that many colors and that array of variety to look at so it really helps us we uh we have opportunities to collaborate with other companies and we use social media to kind of get that out there there's a an example there's a there's a woman here on in the coast that uses our product. she does grazing boards like crudite uh board giveaways and she will use our products, build these amazing—I'm talking ridiculous—looks like flower arrangements, <laughs> and then she'll she'll uh, put them out there for weddings and events. And people don't even want to touch them; they're so pretty. But you can eat everything on the plate from from whatever whatever's there—from carrots to bok choy to to—it's to, just gorgeous radishes. We have all these different colors of radishes. She cuts them, she she cleans them, she—it's really really pretty. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at your Instagram right now. It's just babe underscore Farms. I mean, the color there—the carrots, the Brussels sprouts, um, the beets, radishes, everything. I mean, it looks so good. And even—are these purple Brussels sprouts you guys grow, or are those cooked? Yeah, we do a little bit of both. Yeah, purple's a big color.
2: Uh, huh. It's a big thing. We do purple radishes. We do. Uh, so we do some ninja radishes. We do purple. Uh, we'll have purple cauliflower, uh, baby cauliflower at certain times of the year. It's uh, it's it's definitely. Uh, an interesting color but yeah we do br- baby brussels it's a very popular item we'll go to shows and that's an eye catcher: purple baby brussels brows. people like didn't know those existed I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like yeah.
1: it's like something different they're like hey i didn't know this was a thing kind of like the purple carrots how? and i had no clue but or, apparently carrots were originally purple and then they were just turned orange over time <laughs> um that's awesome so you guys also you're doing something which is great and i've struggled at doing it but it's your crop top, your crop talk newsletter. So, what's the idea behind that? Just kind of updating people on what you guys are doing. Yeah, again, it comes from the marketing side, and it's it's kind of a
2: little more old school. It's a newsletter, it's paper or it's electronic. We do both, um, but mostly nowadays it's electronic. But it, it originally it started as a, a paper thing that uh, that we would send out to our customers. Um, it's either it, it moves between monthly and bi monthly. Uh, that we send out to our customer and contacts. It features what's in season, what's the best, you know, most fresh in season. Because uh, there is some, there's definitely some uh, seasonality to what we do. We try to have everything year round, but there are certain times of the year that it's easier and, and better uh, and more prevalent. Recipes, uh, all the latest events and happenings at Bay Farms. It's really just a way to get in front of our customers and have them, Hey, we're still here. This is what we're doing. This is what we're looking at. And we get a lot of, um, attention that way uh chefs like it uh they 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 actually will will tag us and come back and they'll say look what i did with bay farms carrots and we love that we just just a big circle kind of spins it up
1: yeah that's so cool i love hearing about um the relationship between um chefs and farmers because i think i mean right now with like food network and stuff like that i mean we treat chefs like celebrities and, and rightly so i mean they're hard-working very creative people but I feel like lately, more and more people have started to pay attention to farmers and kind of learning where their food comes from. And I think a lot of chefs are kind of helping that too. And so, I mean, oh, I do you think that's a super important relationship? I mean, obviously between the farmer and the consumer, but also between the farmer and the chef, do you think that's kind of also a very powerful relationship?
2: I do. I do. And and we, uh, in particular, have, have really good relationships lots of chefs because of the type of products that we grow and promote. Um, Before there was a cooking show, who would have thought that you could actually get people to watch people cook food on TV, you know, 15 years ago. And now it's like so popular. And I think what has helped us is people will watch, like I've seen some of these shows where they have this, Surprise thing, and it was Romanesco. I'll pick Romanesco. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's in the cauliflower family. It looks almost like a pine cone. It has this point to it, and it's it's a brassica. It looks very much. Uh, it's very much part of the, the brassica family. It tastes a little bit like cauliflower. Uh, has a, a nut, nutty taste to it. Anyways, they would just drop this in the middle of this uh, this uh, competition on TV, and all these the chefs most of the chefs knew what it was some didn't but nobody on watching the show knew what it was like what is that and it, it affects our call in or we'll get it will get a surge and it's because hey they they saw it on TV they know it can be done i want to do that and there's more and more people let's face it that are cooking uh, gourmet vegetables or any kind of meals just because there's so much of it out there there's so much media out there and that and the fact that if you go to a white tablecloth restaurant in Vegas or a big city and you sit there and you have this meal that is like, wow, um, I, it just reminds people that, hey, I want I want to have this more often. So there's more and more people and really good home chefs that are home, home cooking that have learned it, seen it, and they want to do it, too. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you've got things like Food Network. I mean, of course, YouTube is another big one where, I mean, anytime I want to learn to, to make a dish, um, I'll just go on YouTube and just Google it. I mean, it's it's pretty handy. So
2: yeah, you're right. I mean, it goes for everything.
1: Oh yeah. Are y'all, is there any certain type of chef or restaurant y'all are looking to, to kind of work with or is it really just anybody interested in getting some fresh, great produce from y'all? Yeah, we, we, we have no qualms about working with anybody
2: that wants to work with us. And and if you're looking for high quality, you know, high end, very good uh, colorful produce, then you're, you need to be talking to us because I think one I I'll never forget this, I was at a show and somebody walked up to me and we, we, we do, we used to do four or five, we do four or five six shows a, a year and we'll be sitting there and somebody walks up and said, hey, Babe Farms, you guys are like the Coca-Cola of baby veg. hey and I'm like, I'm going to use that because <laughs> who doesn't know what Coca-Cola is, right? So uh, we want to be well-known and that's kind of who, we, we've been doing this since 1986 and uh, I don't think anybody does as a, large array of specialty veg as big farm so we hope to be the forefront for a long time
1: yeah that's kind of a compliment the coca cola specialty vegetables i mean that's that's hard to beat <laughs> so you you said earlier y'all grow k- kohlrabi right so i grew that when i was teaching ag and i haven't taught i haven't grown it since so what's what's a good way to cook that like i, I don't think i've act- actually had it besides just taking a bite out of it raw I feel like most people don't know what it is, so what's a good way to cook it and prepare it?
2: So it's a very, uh, it, it, it's pretty diverse and it's pretty popular. It's one of the few products that during the pandemic actually grew in volume. It really, hmm. really pushed it. Like it was one of the one of the few that really increased. And I think it was because it's such a hardware item that you can store it, you can you know, keep it in your fridge, it lasts for weeks. Um, it, it has the texture of either Broccoli, like the broccoli stem, uh, and if you've grown it, you know what I'm talking about. I've seen, I've seen it in salads. After you peel the outer skin off, the outer skin kind of has this uh, more of a tougher feel, but the interior is has that uh, broccoli uh, stem texture or jicama. It has a it almost, if you're familiar with jicama, it almost has the uh, the texture of jicama, mm-hmm. but the flavor of almost like broccoli. I've seen it in soups. Uh, it's very popular in in. The, the Asian community with that, so it, it's a, it's it's a pretty diverse special
1: for sure. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever actually seen it at a restaurant, but I know a bunch of people that cook by it, and a lot of people that swear by it. So I don't know if our local Publix has it, but I'm gonna have to stock up on some Kohlrabi and try to cook it.
2: Not everybody knows what it is, and if you've never seen it. It kind of grows. You have you seen if you've grown it? It grows up on top of the ground. You know the roots in the ground. It has this ball on top of the ground, and then these leaves coming out of the sides of it. It just—it's an interesting. It—it—it's it, got the same texture, like I said, and that waxy feel of broccoli leaves. But it's uh, and it is a brassica, but it—it's it's got a different look for sure. It looks—it has its own distinct look for
1: sure. Yeah, if you don't know what it is, you're going to think it's like some kind of like alien vegetable. You're like, what in the world is this thing? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I was at. I watched a with my kids. They were watching the Star Wars. Uh, uh, I can't even remember which, which one it was, but at one point they showed this table full of uh, vegetables and they were trying to find things that just didn't look normal. Nobody would recognize. And Romanesco and Kohlrabi were on that on that table because I stopped it and I said, kids, rewind. And I looked at it it was a still shot of the table. And I'm like, that's Romanesco and that is Kohlrabi and it's stuff that you would never see I mean, on a normal table, it was interesting.
0: No way! (laughs) I'm
1: a I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I'm gonna have to go look for that. That's pretty neat. I can't remember which
2: which which uh, episode, but I swear I stopped it and I told the kids, and they both laughed at me. Like only you (laughs) would. That's awesome!
1: That's so cool. I mean, you never know what the ag industry is gonna impact, and now it's even Star Wars. (laughs) That's cool. Yep. So you've built relationships with with um, with restaurant owners, with consumers, and stuff like that. You've been going through the pandemic. What would you say has kind of been the biggest win with your time here at Babe Farms?
2: My biggest win? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I was born and raised in this business. I went to Cal Poly, uh, graduated in 94. And like I said, it was a family business started in 86. And I really worked there throughout the years. Uh, my biggest win is really the, the camaraderie and the continued, um, just loyalty from an employee base. No matter I we've been through some tough times, everybody goes through tough times. Pandemic was one of those. But the fact that everybody wants to hunker down employees wise and support you because we are all in this together. Obviously everybody employed here can go find a job somewhere else. But and when it's all said and done, I'm the one that's gonna be left left holding the back. But nobody has ever felt given me the impression that they're uncomfortable, they're gonna let let us down, that it's all about This is a team effort, and I have, like I said, some people that have been here for years and years and years, and they live and bleed and breathe like it's their own, and I I totally appreciate that, and I could never express my gratitude enough of how much uh, people care about it like it's theirs, and that's what I think makes us who we are. We had an interview uh, and did a, a small thing, and I have a woman that works on my wash line she's been with me for I think 30 or 35 years really nice lady broken English mostly Spanish and we let her speak about what she liked about Babe Farms and, and her the pride that she takes in every box that leaves that wash line before it gets on a pallet and comes to our cooler it just almost cracked me up I mean, it just really affected me because she talked about it like she cared about every box and that's the way that's the way I want it and that's the way It really is around here. So, really, I appreciate that. I'm proud of that. And I wouldn't want it any other way.
1: That's good to hear. I feel like that kind of buy-in is really difficult nowadays. And so, that's good that that's kind of like a, I mean, everybody at Babe Farms is kind of on the same page. They've all got that passion for what you're doing. So, that's really good to hear. I'm excited to hear that.
2: Yep. It's really good. It's It's a good feeling for sure.
1: Oh, I bet. So... Last question. What do you think about the farmer consumer relationship? I think it's gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. I think more and more people, like we've said, like even during COVID have wanted to figure out more about where their food comes from and stuff like that. Like people have been going to farmers markets, trying to buy more direct. And so what do you think about that relationship? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Does it need some work? What do you think?
2: I think it's, uh, I think it's a never ending conversation or an opportunity to educate the consumers i'm involved in a few organizations and and we farmers are not very good about telling their story we at least we haven't been in the past we're trying to be better at that we are trying to be proactive if you're always in defense mode defending yourself from every organization that wants to you know put you down or say you know that you're you're not doing it right you're wasting water you're spraying too many uh, uh, pesticides uh, they're always something out there trying to knock you down, but what farmers have to do a better job of is being proactive and telling their story. I'm i uh, I'm on a board of an association that is using that very platform with social media just to get out there and connect consumers to the farmer and really people to people, because that's where the connection is. Um, not everybody understands how farming works and all the stuff that goes in it, all the hands that really bring it to, to the grocery store. But if, If they understood how much um, blood, sweat and tears and passion, like I was describing, goes into those boxes, they wouldn't maybe not be so critical of it or are quick to judge. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions of the consumer is just of how, you know, there's a lot of marketing that goes into ag and and not all farmers are good marketers. But uh, for instance, I'll use organic. I think organic is a well marketed term there's nothing wrong with organic but there's really nothing wrong with conventional either in the world we live in conventional and organic farming is very safe it's very healthy we wouldn't be able to do it in the world we live in if it wasn't Mm. but when people step on something to make the other one look better i have a problem with that i grow both i talk i do not put down either one i think they both have their place um you know, organic has slower and lower yields. It drives prices up, but there are certain people that want that and need it, and it's marketed well. Is uh, organic any safer than conventional? No. I think they're both very safe, and I think they're both very uh, good opportunities. I don't know that the world can be fed organically, but I definitely think
1: there's a place in this world for both of them. There has to be. Yeah, that's something that I honestly had no clue about. I thought that. I mean, most farms were either organic or conventional. But as I've done this podcast, most people that are growing organic, it's only a small fraction of their farm. Like they're like you guys, ha- they have a thousand acres, but only 200 of that is organic. And so, I mean, what was kind of the inspiration be- behind kind of growing a small section of organic produce?
2: Really, it's customer demand. Mm. I mean, organics, like I said, well marketed and there's people that want that. We, we like there's certain items that we only grow organically, we grow organic spinach, organic uh, kale, organic fennel I do fennel conventionally and organically I do certain things both ways but there are certain things I only do organically the problem with organics and when the when winter gets because California actually does have winter not not a real abrasive winter but when things get days get shorter and and weather gets colder uh fertilizers do not uh react they do they get in a cold soil and it's just it's kind of like it's kind of like what you do after you harvest something. You put it in your fridge to slow it down because it's trying to decay. You need heat and you need all those things in the soil to make things work. So you can't, we can't farm organically year-round and we can't farm everything we do organically completely and solely. So we do both because we we have to be consistent because the, the consumer needs, wants to be consistently supplied.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one thing that's a huge struggle that I've also heard a lot about. I mean, consumers are wanting... Great produce 24-7, 365, but of course, you can't grow all that produce 24-7, 365. I mean, even in states like California and Florida, where you can grow it for a decent amount of the year, you've also got some periods where you can't. So it's an ongoing struggle, I can assume.
2: I agree. Yep, it is. And and we do a pretty good job of it. Uh, But... But there's always hurdles in front of us, for sure. But, but yeah, I think that that relationship, back to your question, the relationship between consumers and farmers is only getting better. We also participate in a farm day, uh, Santa Barbara County Farm Day. We started it a couple years ago, and we're we're big, big uh, participants of it. And it we it's a way for the general public, no connection to ag, to come out, see what we do, how we do it, look at the equipment we do, because um, there's so many – You know, food safety hurdles and food security and things that we have to abide by, that you can't just have the general public out there walking through your fields any day. But if you plan for it, you bring them in, we give them free vegetables, we let them ask questions. And it's happening this September. uh, And it happens every year once on a Saturday for four to six hours. And then they go around to all the different farms. There's like 15 farms in our area that are uh, all participating. It's just a way for the public to get around and see transplanting is one part of ag, and, and us especially grower, then they'll go down and see a strawberry grower and realize that every strawberry has to be hand
1: picked, and they go, wow, you know, they don't actually think about that until you see it. Pretty impressive. Oh, I bet so. Yeah, I mean, that's so cool to hear. What What's the response been like from those days where they actually come out and they can actually see how their food's grown, how it's picked, how it's harvested, so what's the response been like?
2: They love it. They love it. They bring their kids. Uh <clears throat> And we get people. Uh, last year, we had, uh, I think, three or two years ago before the pandemic, we had 300 visitors. And we were one of the more, just because of the same thing, like we were talking about with the social media, we're a more colorful stop. So they're like, oh, Bay Farms, or we're out there more in social media, so they kind of know who we are, even locally, they'll know who we are, so let's go there. And then the fact that we're giving away free vegetables, they're like, yeah, that's a given, we'll come by. So it's just, it's kind of like a farmer's market without having to pay for it on that Saturday. And then we can show them kohlrabi. They may not get that in their local grocery store and say, hey, this is what it is. This is how you cook it. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I I love farm days and stuff like that. I think they're super cool. I mean, they're a great, not only a great, I mean, outing if you're a family, but it's also a great educational tool. I mean, people can literally see and learn straight from the farmer instead of Google and kind of ask any questions they might have. No,
2: I agree. And then then as you and I know, anything you Google, not to bring politics into anything, but everything has a a spin. Mm -hmm. But if you talk to the grower, he's a real guy. He's just trying to make a living, like you are, and 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 he he's not trying to poison you because he he feeds his family from every vegetable in that field. It's just like he's trying to feed you. So honestly, it's we usually it's very positive. I've never really had a bad experience talking to the public at those events. But if somebody is critical or questionable, they usually turn around pretty quickly when they realize that we're just real people just trying to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, like you said earlier. I mean, that person, the person communication is really key where you're not trying to be, I mean, you're just being honest and open with them. I think is huge. And yeah, I think that's awesome. I agree. But I agree. That's so cool, Jeff. Well, I think this has been awesome. If people want to learn more about Babe Farms, you guys are active on um, Instagram, your website, where else can they go to kind of see what you guys are doing? Yeah, that's social, the social media program or uh, platforms that you're
2: discussing, Instagram, uh, you know, uh, Facebook, uh, Where we have a website babe, uh, at Um It's 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 if you ever have a question or you want to see who we are, that's that's how you can see us. But uh, that's probably the best way. And then you get the visual. It's amazing what you can see uh, just by searching things for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, all all y'all stuff is really colorful. It's really pretty. So I'm glad the Instagram algorithm helped me find you guys, so yay for that. <laughs> <laughs> good,
2: good. I'm glad you found yeah. us. Yeah.
1: Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. We'll talk to you soon. We really appreciate it. All
2: right. You're welcome. Thanks. Nice talking to you.